Good afternoon, everybody. Is it that time? Lene, is this time to go? We're officially on? All right, good. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Music, Technology, and Health. How's everybody feeling today? Okay? Healthy? This is the last session of the day, so you're all a little sleepy, I think. <laughs> so I'd like to start off by doing a quick introduction of the luminary panel we have here today. And I'd like the guys to actually introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So to my left, we have Nadim. Fire away. My name is Nadim Kassam, and I am the founder of Basis and a company called BioBeats. I've been working for the last 10 years primarily on understanding the information that comes from our hearts. So for the last 10 years, we built a mobile healthcare device sitting on my wrist. It looks like this, um, and it's got many sensors in there, including picking up the rhythm of your heart. And the reason I'm on this panel is because for the last couple of years, I've been looking at how our biometrics or the rhythms of our vital signs can be sonified into music and visuals. Lots more cool stuff about that later. Hi, my name is Mickey Hart. I am a rhythmist. I am from the world of space and time. I've come to visit your beautiful planet today, and hopefully we could have some dialogue. But basically, I'm interested in brainwave function, which I've, I consider the, the most exciting frontier for music in this century. And I've, I'm on the board of the Institute of Neurologic Function with uh, Oliver Sacks in New York, and I work with Dr. Ghazali here, US, uh, San Francisco, University of California, and looking for the power of rhythm and how it really affects the brain, which is what I would call rhythm central. And that's why, why I'm here today. Great. Hi, I'm Adam Ghazali. I'm a professor of neurology and psychiatry and physiology at UCSF, and I direct the Neuroscience Imaging Center. Uh, we study how the brain works and how we can change it in positive ways. We build video games to see if we can push neural processes to a more optimal state, largely in the, in the domain of attention, perception, and memory. And then over the last year or so, Mickey and I have been working together to move our research into understanding rhythm and how external rhythm, like the rhythm in music, might impact the rhythms that occur in your brain that underlie either healthy brain function or unhealthy brain function. And that's what we're going to talk a little about today. Great. Thank you so much. I've always wanted to say this, that Mickey is one of the few drummers I know who actually has a brain. Right? Anybody no, who's I, in a band I, Not only drums. do I have a brain, I also have a mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's the old drummer joke if you're a musician who hangs around musicians they call it right <laughs> someone who's called a drummer right my name's will henschel i am the ceo founder of focus at will which is a new neuroscience backed service which uses music to help you uh, increase your focus and increase your attention span up to 400 percent it's focus at will.com it's based on hard science principles and we've been live for about two weeks so i'd like to start off by having each of us do a sort of a three-minute piece uh, intro about a little more detail about what we're doing. The bigger picture of what we're doing today, by the way, is it's a completely new and different use of music in many ways, right? Because the music business is actually kind of new. It's less than 100 years old. And prior to that, music was used for healing and music was used to help and to be a backdrop to our lives as a, as a fabric of society as opposed to a commodity that you buy. And uh, it's very interesting, in my opinion, that digital technology is allowing music to come back into uh, one of its original forms, which is to help us do stuff and not just to entertain us. So, Nadim, do you want to come and play your... Uh... Sure. So I'm going to uh, play a little clip. It's the first kind of rendition of, of BioBeats and how we've started to merge biometrics with music and all the different renditions of that. In your face TV. Hello, everybody tuning in right now. The Far East Movement is here. Place your finger over the light and camera of your phone. BioBeats will display your heartbeat. You and everyone around the world will be contributing your heartbeat, which will be shown visually during the live broadcast. We are trying to reach one million heartbeats. So please donate your heartbeats to this experiment. It's for a great cause. We're merging biometrics with music. Yes, for the first time ever. Hands in the air. Turn it up now. Let me see y'all dance. Yeah. Get, get it poppin'. Hot tamale. Dirty 
so bad about it. Too legit, we can't quit the party. Super freaks, no Illuminati. So, one, two, hit the booze, we on you, too. Nothing to lose, so let it loose. Cause the sheep don't sleep like ba, 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 ba. Yeah, drop low to the LO. LO. We gotta get low. So clap your hands, clap, clap your hands. I got nothing but love to give. Turn it up, turn it up, you don't hit me now. How many did we hit? How many heartbeats? 1.5 million. That's a lot of love. Yeah. That's a lot of love. So what you guys saw there was, uh, was an experiment. The Far East Movement did, a, did an event in their studio, and we tapped in their audience from around the world through a live stream. But it wasn't a passive event where their audience just got to watch their show. The audience this time actually got to participate in the show by contributing their heartbeats. In this rendition of it, we were actually filling up a meter, and once we got to a million heartbeats, it unlocked a new set. The next rendition of what we did was at South by Southwest, and we basically allowed about 600 people in a lineup outside a venue to stream their heartbeats live into a DJ booth. And from there, we had an Ableton Live tool where we manipulated BPM and average pulse with tempo of about a 15-minute set just to show it off. And so that's you know, what, we're, what we're talking about here is kind of the merger of, of healthcare and entertainment. You know, spent a lot of time building devices that would pick up your biometrics and, and look at the data that's coming out of your body but even I was bored with that data, you know, creating it and looking at start charts and graphs and whatnot uh, gets really boring. And so as we were talking backstage with Mikey, it's absolutely necessary to sonify it as music. If you can't have fun with this, what's, what's the point? And so our, our goal is really to create fun and meaningful experiences uh, using entertainment, but for the purposes of solving and helping the healthcare industry. Thank you. That's a noble cause, I think. So, okay. Mickey, fire away. Uh, okay. So it's, a, it's a big story, but I'll try to say it now in a short amount of time. Let's see. How do we, how do we cover 13.8 billion years in three minutes? Well, let me try. <laughs> about that time, about 13.8 billion years ago, the blank page of the universe exploded, <laughs> creating uh, planets, stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, us. And it was a vibratory, it was a vibratory start, and we know that vibrations are the basis of all life. It's the essential of all life. Without vibrations, we wouldn't be here. The universe would not be here. So what do these these waveforms, these this energy contain? Now we know that every culture on the planet has a music. And there's a reason for that. We're coded for music. We need music. Music is our connection to all these epic events that happened all of these years before. Like Carl Sagan said, we're all made of star stuff. You know, the carbon in your cheesecake came from some star born a billion years ago. So the way I see it is we're multidimensional rhythm machines made up of rhythm. Our hearts, lungs, blood... Everything we do is about rhythm. We blink, we talk. We're embedded in a universe of rhythms, vibrations. And that's what makes music so exciting. But we know more about the, uh, the science of the deep sea than we do about the mind, for instance. 
the mind, the brain, the mind being the conscious part of the brain, is rhythm central. It is the superorganism of superorganisms. That's where all of these secrets are being stored, and we're trying to crack that code. We're trying to find out what rhythms do what for what kind of emotional response. That's the goal, is to, it's kind of like a, a rhythm genome process that we have to go through. We have to find out what rhythm contains, what are the power of rhythm, just perhaps like Tesla did. Can't see music, music's invisible. It's like electricity. How do you get it around? How do you use it? So now, music is medicine. Music in the medicinal sense for life enhancement, diagnosis, treatment. This is, uh, like I mentioned before, the most exciting frontier in music now, and one which I'm going down the road with here, uh, with, uh, with Adam and, and other scientists from around the world, to find out what we can do with this amazing energy we call music. Whether it be playing it, listening to it, music therapy, and now science. So what I'm doing now is playing, using music, in, uh, using brainwave function in my music. I'm, we're sonifying my brain, taking its sound wave, its waveform, translating that electrical stimuli into sound, and also being able to see the brain, and being able to dance with the brain, and be able to play and interact with the brain very playfully, but also in a scientific way. And that's the, that's the primary reason that I'm here, and, and I work with Adam. Um, and, and, and this will, this will be, this will be the next science, this will be the most important in this century use of music. Uh, the uh, combination of art and science we're seeing for the first time because machines have finally been created to be able to recognize these different stimuli and be able to isolate them without <clears throat> contamination and understand what part of the brain is doing what, what the brain looks like before, during, and after an auditory driving experience. And that's, that would be the grail for me, and that's, uh, that's what is at the end of the rainbow. We know from thousands of years... Every indigenous culture used some kind of music, a rattle or a drum, in a healing ceremony. So doctoring has been done, but it's kind of seat of the pants. We don't know really how to repeat. Once we repeat, then all of this will come together in one big rush, and we'll understand why the gift of music has been given to us and what it's true uh, Besides it being entertaining, I'm a performer, love to have, uh, put thousands of people into ecstatic states, whether it be trance, which is basically what I do. You know, I deliver sound by the pound, and hopefully that uh, this redundant, there's a certain redundancy that must happen in trance, and that's, and that's where I'm finding all of this uh, very potent uh, uh, energy. Thank you. Great. So I'm just going to jump off of what Mickey said. We've, we've had um, uh, a couple years of working together now. I'm going to give you the backdrop for that. How did Mickey and I come to work together? And then really just move from his introduction about the power of rhythm and tell you how we're bringing it into our laboratory and really fulfilling um, a vision that M Mickey's had for 40 years um, in thinking about music as more than just a, an entertainment medium, but something that can actually have therapeutic potential. So this picture over here is uh, soon after Mickey and I met. It's Mickey going into our MRI scanner at UCSF. I was never the same after. What do you do? <laughs> it, it's true. A, lot, a lot's changed since then. You feel really good, Adam. <laughs> and, so, and, and so we were actually brought together to give a talk. Uh, that, that's the only reason we were introduced uh, by the ARP uh, to give a talk at their annual meeting last year about rhythm and its power to be transformative in terms of a health perspective. And we dove into it way more than they suspected and started a whole collaboration that's now led to uh, many research projects. And I'll tell you about that. But one thing that we thought would be fun to do at our event, um, which was in New Orleans in, I guess, October, in addition to tell you about rhythm and the brain, was to show you rhythm 
uh, Mickey's rhythm of his brain in real time. And as far as we know, no one's really put this all together um, on uh, on a stage in real time in front of a, a large audience. So the first thing we did was scan Mickey's brain so that we can actually show the structure of his brain. And then here we are on stage together in this massive um, arena, essentially, with four giant projectors. And this is um, a recording of what we showed live. This is uh, Mickey's brain um, on a three-Tesla scanner. It's, it's, a, it's, it's quite a good-looking brain. I know he's a, he's a little nervous it's kinda, about it's kinda it. It's kind of handsome, don't it, you it, think? It, it's, it's doing fine. In a strange way? And then we could, I, could, I could turn the sound on. It just doesn't add that much, but I'll tell you what. And then what we did is we strip away the cortex Make sure you're of the brain. Make oh, the mic. We strip away the cortex of the brain so yeah. you can see inside. And now, if you couldn't tell in that picture, but Mickey was wearing a multi-electrode EEG sensor uh, that was wireless. And so while we were interacting, I was holding an iPad and showing different rhythms of his brain. We just spent 45 minutes telling the audience what alpha was and beta. It's going to play again and, and theta and gamma. And then I would show these rhythms one at a time, the rhythms that we just talked about, and I showed what they did in terms of, of cognition. And then we converted into a sonification, which you heard a little bit of here, where we projected each rhythm into a, a sound space, a frequency that we can actually hear it. And we showed uh, and played the song of Mickey's brain. And here's a little image live of, of the excitement that Mickey felt upon hearing his brain. I couldn't resist sharing. I am a river to my people. <laughs> I couldn't resist sharing that with you. And you could see his brain lit up with artifact as he moved around, but it was still quite an exciting moment. And so um, this started as essentially an art piece, right, showing um, in real time a, uh, a rendering of neural activity, rhythmic activity, the song of Mickey's brain overlaid onto the structure of his brain. But it's become much more than that. So what we're now doing is working with many other groups, um, NVIDIA, um, iVapor Company in LA, another group at UCSD, and trying to make this real-time recording of brain um, rhythms an actual scientific tool. And so that's one of the things that grew out of our project to bring it beyond art and music but into the domain of scientific technique. Um, just a little background. We, we, we now appreciate that our brain doesn't work as isolated signals. What you're looking at here is a representation of our brain as a network. And this is really how it functions with brain areas communicating with each other. We now know that a principal functional um, operation of our brain is based on rhythmic activity, just like we see in music, rhythm at different oscillations. Um, we now appreciate that these rhythms of the brain are really responsible for a whole array of functions from decision-making, attention, perception, memory, language. So rhythm is no longer uh, thought to be something that happens in our brain and is related to sleep patterns only, but it's really related to how we function. We now know if it's related to how we function in a healthy way, it's also related to how we function in, in a suboptimal way, as we see in many different disorders. And I'm listing some here, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, tinnitus, depression, dyslexia, Alzheimer's disease. We now think of many of these as essentially rhythmic disorders of the brain. And so the idea is that if we could generate rhythms in our surroundings, such as the rhythms in music, and even rhythms that aren't necessarily associated with music per se, can we entrain to brain rhythms and essentially reprogram and rewire the brain so that we can have a healthier uh, mind and healthier cognition? Uh, this idea has been hinted at so many times over the last 40 years, but what we feel is that some of the really uh, seminal experiments have yet to be uh, performed. And so really acting off of the inspiration that Mickey's brought into the lab, we're using the tools that we already use to see, to change the brain in, in many different ways and see how strong of a role rhythm can play. Um, Ted Santo, why don't you wave to everyone? Ted, Ted is a, a professor in the lab, and he's, uh, he's leading one of the experiments, and we built an app um, along with uh, Mickey, uh, where we met and went over the details of what a rhythm training application would look like. And now the app is being developed and designed, and then it will come into the lab for testing. 
And we'll actually be able to see how engaging in a rhythmic experience, as Mickey described, can change your brain rhythms, can that help your cognitive abilities, and can that improve your mind if you have something like ADHD or Alzheimer's disease. So I think it's a really exciting time. And in some ways, both Mickey and I looked at this opportunity to speak to you as a, as a call to arms. Um, we know a lot of you are, are local in, in the Bay Area. We know you are in all sorts of domains from uh, the technology side to the more music side. Um, including music presentation, and we would like anyone that's interested in this to uh, to definitely approach us, reach out to us. We have a website now, rhythmandthebrain.com, and um, it's really just to see if we can take the insights that Mickey and others have had on the power of rhythm and really design carefully controlled experiments, just like we would anything, just like any medication, and create um, uh, uh, better landscape for how these type of music and rhythmic uh, training can really impact health. So that's what, uh, what we're doing together. Um, did you, do you have any last closing words? Well, I wanted it, it, to... it, yeah. It's, it, it, when I pop, punch my computer up in the morning, it says, it's the rhythm stupid. And I would, I, that's really what it's all about. It's all about the rhythm of things. Rhythmic entrainment is really being in sync is what nature does the best. And when you are in sync, you have good health, mental health, physical health. When you eat bad food or you do bad things, you go out of rhythm. Your body goes out of rhythm. Disease sets in. Uh, so, so there are good rhythms and there are bad rhythms. I, I, I mean, on a certain level, you can think of war as perhaps a bad rhythm. Peace, perhaps a good rhythm. Uh, love a good rhythm, hate a bad rhythm. So there's a lot of emotional, uh, there's an emotional side to this very, very serious side. But it's really about the vibrations and the rhythm and how we can control them and, and how do we to direct them and how we can play with them. Because, I mean, even at 400 BC, Pythagoras, he knew it. I mean, he was an ancient and he didn't have any telescopes or, or things and he was able, he, he claimed to be able to hear the sonorities of the planets. He called it the music of the spheres. Obviously, there was, he didn't have an ear to be able to pick that up. Now we need radio telescopes to pick the radiation and light waves up. But nevertheless, perhaps it was mystic flight, but he conjured the whole universe as a musical instrument and gave numerical equation to all the planets and everything that evolved. He was the father of the science of music. He found the octave. He found the fifth. He found the seventh, the tempered scale, by putting a string across uh, and putting a weight here in the middle, sounding it, weight, fifth, and so forth and so on. So we've known f for ages that music is not just for entertainment, that it actually describes, it's a miniature of what's happening in the, in the universe. The last four years I've been sonifying the epic events in the universe from the Big Bang well, now it's 13.8. When I was doing it, it was 13.7. They just found out it was another 100 million years off. Big yeah. deal. I thought you'd been <laughs> a long time for some. Yeah, but <laughs> George Smoot, who, uh, my partner in this, who's a, a Nobel laureate uh, over at Berkeley, uh, and I have been doing this kind of sonification and this vibratory uh, kind of uh, investigation into the origin of where did space and time come from? You know, where did it all start? So now Smoot, he pinned the tail on the donkey. He found out it, at that time it was 13.7. So all of these vibrations that we're enjoying now that are going through us, that we're part of the carbon and all of that, uh, was born billions of years ago. Probably sometimes uh, the, the object wouldn't even be there now that uh, is surrounding us, these kind of waveforms. So how do we control these waveforms? How do we use them? How do we dance to them? How do we play with them? And how can we, how can we find what, the secrets to Parkinson's, um, to dementia? Because it's a rhythmic thing. When, when we have a dementia, we know that the synapses are not firing. We know there's a broken connection. Reconnection using vibratory stimuli, i.e. music, is well known in music therapy. But it's a seat of the pants science. What we're trying to do is to make this a science to, to be able to repeat. Because we know it works. I've worked with many patients. Uh, now I'd love to find out what sonic 
what the sonic component of a brain that was affected by Parkinson's as opposed to a brain that was healthy. So we're going to be able to probe all of these things with this, uh, in this project. And I'll reiterate what, what the doctor said. Yeah, we do need a lot of help. And who's ever out there that is interested tangentially or in any other way, please uh, let it be known. And we would certainly appreciate it. It's one of the things that I would hope that would come out of this conference today. You know, uh, Mickey, it's really interesting that you talk about the rhythms in that way. From my studies and from, from the science that, uh, that my teams perform, we look at the, the rhythms of the heart. And we look at um, kind of the science of what, uh, of what Chinese medicine has been doing for many, many, many centuries. When a Chinese medicine doctor checks your pulse, he's not checking for beats per minute. He's checking for rhythm and strength and texture. Um, and there's a deep science there. And what we found is that... Um, the rhythms in the heart of frustration look very different than arousal. Uh, the rhythms of anxiety look very different um, than excitement. And so the rhythms that you talk about that are present throughout the body are extremely evident in the heart. Um, we call it the science of heart rate variability. Um, you know, I like to call it the science of manipulating emotion. Uh, but absolutely, it's, it's so interesting, the heart and the brain and the sync between the two. And, and really, you know, as you said, music is medicine, and it lies in the rhythm. Thank you. Well, I've been on a slightly different track myself. I'm a, I've had a, some success as a songwriter. I was in a band called London Beat um, about 20 years ago. Some of you might remember, I've been thinking about you. Still gets played on the radio. Thank you very much. <laughs> and anybody, who, any, anybody use Pro Tools in the room? There we go. Do you know DigiDelivery in the Pro Tools menu? Yeah, I also you built, I created people that. People don't use Pro Tools? Some people don't, surprising. <laughs> I thought anyway. the whole world used Pro Tools. I'm, um, basically, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an artist and a scientist. I'm an equal left and right brain. And um, I got really interested in why we do stuff when this music is playing. You know, I've had, you know, why is it that when I, I pick up a guitar and I can play a few chords, and sometimes it's a song, that moves a lot of people, and sometimes it's just a few chords. What's the difference? And um, it sort of led me personally into a, into a track where I, got, I started finding... Um, it's funny, I got a Kindle, and I noticed a lot of people who have Kindles listen to music while they were traveling, listening to Kindles. And I started asking people, what music are you listening to while you're reading? And people would say, well, it's hard to find stuff that's not distracting, but I like to listen to music while I'm reading. And that led me to wanting to listen to music while I'm working. And then I discovered about half of everybody, half of the population, like to listen to music while they work. And then, using EEG machines and heart rate variability machines in, in the lab in, in, in my company, um, we, we found that most commercial music, in other words, music that's designed to be bought and, and purchased and listened to, is actually distracting. And um, I'll just go to the... It's not my computer. Here we go. So... If you're listening to music while you're trying to do something, trying to focus on something, and you're listening to music that's actually designed to be listened to, it's going to be distracting. And we find that it's actually about 15% more distracting. You're better off not listening to anything. And yet we instinctively, a lot of people like to listen to music while they're doing that. So why? <laughs> it's counterintuitive. Well, it turns out that if you play the right kind of music in exactly the right order, you can actually help and you can extend your, your focus and, and, and your attention span. So I think of the, of the four of us, I'm in a slightly different field because I've got a product that is um, called Focus at Will. Um, it's live, and we've been live for two weeks. And it's a system where you can play music in the background. There's the homepage. I'm not going to do a product demo here, but you can just see there's different genres you choose. And the, the reason and why this works, I'll just play a little bit of the classical channel. Is there audio there? It just sounds like a classical piece that you may hear anywhere, but it's different. We found out that um, I'll just turn it down a bit. We found out something really interesting. We found out that your subconscious mind is exquisitely sensitive to different orders, the playlisting of different pieces of music. If you think about it, it's kind of so. This is not 
me listening to a piece of music at a concert. This isn't like watching you do a show. This is now music that's happening in the background while I'm trying to do something else, right? It's different. And we found that we are exquisitively sensitive to things that, such as the tonality, the key, the speed, the intensity, how happy, how sad it is. And so the system works by, we've, we've got, you know, 80,000 pieces of music in the system, something like that. Um, and um, the, um, uh, the system selects pieces uh, in a very predetermined order. And that's why it works. It works for two people out of three. But it's based on neuroscience, you know. We're playing music for your subconscious mind. What's your thought about the subconscious mind, Alan? Icon? Well, I mean, we, we know that a, a vast, I don't know if it's a majority, but a vast amount of our behaviors are not at the point of conscious awareness. Right. So, I mean, it's a, it's a strong determinant of how we act in the world, for sure. Have you had any experience we, of, of the way that... Um, you know, sound affects your conscious mind or your unconscious mind in different ways. Have you had any sort of lab experience of those things? Well, the majority of our work up until the more recent studies that we do on, on enhancement have been looking at very much what, you, what you're talking about, the impact of distraction and multitasking on our performance. That's largely what our lab has contributed to, how your memory and your perception and your attention are very much impacted by what's going on around you. Right. Um, and a lot of it is happening at an unconscious level. Uh, your ability to carry on a meaningful conversation in a noisy restaurant or coffee shop versus a quiet room are quite different. And so we, we know that um, surroundings very much impact your performance, usually in a negative way, although I do agree that music is an, is an odd bird in that sense um, under some conditions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and many times it happens without your awareness. Yeah. Nadine, you, you want to say something? I think. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I'm no doctor or scientist, so lots of grains of salt. Um, you know, the subconscious mind is 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 one of the greatest technologies that the, the, that the human possesses. Um, you know, incredible technologies like hypnotherapy um, allow the subconscious mind to become to become more receptive, and so using music to make the subconscious mind more alert will only allow messages to receive to be received much more clearly uh, into the into the conscious mind. Um, and we've seen that um, music has been used for that for so many years. Um, you know, the original drum beat from an African drum circle um, takes you to a subconscious space um, and allows you to heal much faster. And it was interesting, you, you talked about using an instrument um, in, in healing processes for, for, from the ancients, and there's a very specific reason for that. Um, Do you know why? Well, I won't pretend to, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's just it's just where you know scientifically. I think you should explain it to us. It's it's about trance. It's all about trance. It's about in order the bottom line in redundancy. Uh, bottom line in trance is redundancy. The mind has to relax and be able to lock on a, a stimuli, and it has to repeat, and then it and then it consciously follows that, and it and it then you become, you go into an altered state, as we call it. You might call it a, a hierophany or a place where your priorities change. It's, an, it's kind of like a, a raising of consciousness. But in order to be able to go into trance, which is where all of the healers went, whether it be shaman, Siberian shamanic uh, traditions, the, the Siberian Rim, or the rainforests of South, uh, South America or North American, or any culture uh, that had a shamanic tradition used either a drum or a rattle. So music was the, um, music became the horse, as it were, for the healing process. So the, carrier, the shaman right? would follow the drum into these altered states and then come back now and, and do, his, do his business and heal and then come back into the, into the uh, conscious world. But um, these archaic techniques of ecstasy were very, they, they really, that's why they called them shaman because this didn't, it was seat of the pants kind of stuff. We don't know, it wasn't science. It was folklore and certain cultures had certain ways of doing it. Uh, but now, we are able to quantify it and find out exactly what science is doing. Uh, I mean, what rhythm is doing using scientific methods. So I would have to say that listening casually to music is different. 
you know, uh, to me, it's a distraction. When I hear music and I'm doing something else, I can't concentrate at all because all of my, uh, my brain, all of the brain is focused on sound so keenly that it gets pulled to that and I can't remember what I'm doing. So it all depends on, you know, on a lot of things about that. But the subconscious, music is born in the dream where the subconscious live. The mind only knows the mind. The mind is wild and crazy place. It's full of absurdities. It's full of contradictions. But when we dream things or when things come up to us even in the daytime, these are bits and pieces of our subconscious coming to into uh, into our conscious realm and then we make music out of it we make whatever we make out of it but it's 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 a place that we're we're probing because that's where that's the deep heart of music it's the deep heart of rhythm i mean it's it's where everything lies i listen to my dreams very much i uh, I learned about dream telepathy. I worked with hypnosis many years ago, and I used that in the early days to be able to sync with my bandmates. We used to go to the dream laboratory in 1967 and do experiments in cognition and learning how, how rhythms would entrain together and rhythmic perceptions and all that. So that was kind of the baby science of what we have now. You know, it really worked. Uh, so uh, I would listen to my dreams because that's where a lot of the ideas come from and the stuff that really matters, you know, is things that really affect you and so forth. So you can look at that as music as well. I try to make a translator of dreams. Mickey, uh, you, you said that you're talking about synchronizing your bandmates. And I got a question. You were talking about synchronizing your yes. bandmates. So I got a question for you. I've always wanted to ask this question. Have you noticed how drum circles are nearly always at the same speed? Uh, uh, drum Why? circles in what? Well, just if you... Like, I live in Venice, and there's drum circles on the beach all the time, and they usually well, end usually, up at the same usually speed. Usually, they'll, they'll have some kind of um, sympathetic um, alignment with the heart, because right. the basic uh, rhythm in the heart is the heart, and the, ba- and the body is the heart. Remember? But everybody's heart is at a different speed, and, and I've noticed that the drum circles are usually, well, you know, uh, 95 be, BPM anything, or whatever but there's a, There are common rhythms, but right. remember, when right. you're born, but when you're prenatal, I mean, when you're in the, be- in the belly, you are hearing your mother's heartbeat at about 150 to 160 decibels. So remember, a giant rhythmic imprint before you even get out to these other rhythms, light and everything else. Because remember, light has a rhythm, just like sound has a light. There's always a component to anything that moves, a visual and an audio component. So, you know, you are, you are imprinted for rhythm. I mean, music, you're born with it. Now, if, if you could be born, I mean, you could be talked out of it or you may not recognize your attraction to music, which usually happens in this society because people think of music as just something you dance to in entertainment. But uh, when music uh, 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 occupies its, its proper place in... Um, yeah. In the uh, you know in the world of um, of vibrations, well, you don't have earlids, then we have things. You know, you, we can do. You can turn off. It's you can shut your eyes and not see stuff, but it's very difficult to, you know, not hear things. Well, it's synesthesia. You know, I can see right. see sounds. I can hear colors. So I have a, I have what they call synesthesia, the combination of these two uh, forms, uh, light and sound. A lot of musicians have that. It just so happens that one of the kind of things that musicians have, some, right. you know, That's right. uh, it's not an accurate science or anything, but, you know, um, it, it, it does happen. In there's, there's a lot of uh, published intellectual property around uh, the fact that um, your, the BPM of the music, um, your heart will go in sync with the BPM of the music. Right. At the same time, your heart wants to go in sync with the BPM of your step. Um, yeah. Exactly. And so if you that's, put the, that's an rhythmic entrainment. Exactly. Uh, that's what, that's that's what why the body does to stay healthy and for you to be, move efficiently, efficiently through life. For instance, if you walk in front of a car and you get hit, that's an arrhythmic moment. I mean, that, you're out of rhythm. <laughs> that's an understatement. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's kind can of... We, a, um, can we ask the audience, do you guys have any uh, thoughts, or if you, uh, if, comments? Or if you can't play opinions? with your bandmates. So you speak yeah. of that... Right. When the Grateful Dead first started, mm-hmm. 
me and my partner in, uh, in music, we're saying in crime, which is <laughs> <it's> close. <laughs> um, we went to the, the dream laboratory at Maimonides Hospital and learned how to sink and to become an eight-armed creature, right. you know, as opposed to, you know, just playing. We learned the flex. We used hypnosis. And uh, we would play 10 hours and tell ourselves we were you know, we were playing 10 hours, we only played three hours, but we got that, you know. So all those kind of things, these kind of aids, but it's all rhythmic in nature, and it comes back down to the rhythm of things. So let's, let's ask the audience any questions as a gentleman there. I use the term gentleman fairly loosely, by the way. Absolutely <laughs> so. I uh, spent the early part of my career doing what I would call wet neuroscience at MIT and Harvard, and I don't do that anymore, but I've since actually become a deadhead and um, a drummer. And um, what my question is... Are you okay? I'm I'm, uh, I'm much better off. My my question is, um, I have some understanding of, you know, the degenerative issues that come up in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And I also have an understanding of how rhythm is kind of the basis of of our fabric, as you described. I'm kind of curious if... At this point, you have any data that reflects how the material forms take on the rhythm, meaning you know, if there's a healthy rhythm related to a healthy brain, how is that rhythm related to the, the actual degeneration of the, of the body? Well, I mean, it's still, you know, your question is a good one, but it's, it's really a research topic right now. I mean, it's only been very recently that we've grown a better understanding of brain rhythms as inducers of cognition and that brain orders can be dysrhythmic and that can be associated with disorders. So understanding how to put it all together from the wet level, the molecular and anatomical level all the way up to the systems level is really a big challenge. And so there's no clear answer on that. I mean, we understand the basic fundamentals of why neural activity oscillates given sort of this push-pull of excitatory and inhibitory influences. And we know that when neurons die, circuits become damaged. And so the type of inputs that create this type of uh, fluctuation are, are no longer there. And so it, you know, it makes sense on a very fundamental level why rhythmic disorders would occur if you have neurodegeneration. But in terms of understanding all the details of the networks and neurotransmitter systems and how it might differ from different conditions, all of that is in front of us. And then the big question is can we use the understanding uh, that we're just beginning to have of in training to rhythms, using rhythms itself as a tool to to shape rhythms of the brain. Can that really help people that have these conditions? Is largely, you know, they're largely anecdotal observations now, and really having empirical evidence carefully formed in the lab with reasonable control groups. I mean, this is a tough challenge, but that's that's where we find ourselves right now. So, I mean, you asked like the million dollar question, the one that we don't know is how do you tie together how the brain works on all its different levels so that you can really control it when it goes awry? Thank you. Any other questions, as a Thank you guys for doing this work. We just launched a new foundation called Everybody is a Star, and we're working with kids with autism and with cerebral palsy and lots of different brain disorders. And what we're finding is by just putting the kids in the studio to make music and work with rhythms that they're having incredible healing processes, both self-esteem and as well as their ability to think more clearly. So I think that there's a whole frontier going on now, and it's Really exciting that you guys are doing this with the rhythms and the work, and we're doing it with just song form and kids and also the whole other aspect of self-esteem. And the other part is what's going on now with nutraceuticals and other things that are happening for, for brain health. That I think all this together is we're going to have some big breakthroughs with brain health. Thank you. Thank you. And just, just one quick follow-up on that. I, we only talked about the work we're doing, but there's so many other people in this space, and we only have a couple minutes, so this is not... It wasn't the opportunity to give them all credit, but there's a, a, um, a, a colleague of mine named Nina Kraus, K-R-A-U-S, and she's done a ton of work with music, not with rhythm as we're focusing on, and has some really, I, I think, some of the most uh, elegant findings in the scientific literature showing that you might be familiar with her work, right? I imagine that you are if, if you're um, looking at how uh, music shapes behavior. And she shows that musical experience when you're younger... Um, even if you discontinue it to some degree, can impact your cognitive abilities at, you know, way later in life. 
And um, if you record from different nuclei in the brain and listen to the response to sound and you compare between a musician and a non-musician, there's uh, a higher fidelity of how essentially the, the music of the brain of that person listening to sounds is vastly different. It's really phenomenal work um, that goes more broadly in terms of music um, rather than rhythm. So I just wanted to point you to that person if you're interested. Back to your statement about autism. I've been working quite a bit in the autistic community. Now they're building drums that are very quiet. They're not so loud. Mm-hmm. And because autism doesn't like loud sounds. And they're thinking of the drum as their friends and their first friend because he's the loneliest of all the people. You know, they live way out there. And they're using drums and they think of it as their heartbeat. They're thinking of it as something to do with their heart. You know, and this is a very interesting, using didgeridoos and drums. See, in percussion, in these kind of drums, these hand drums, you don't have to be a musician. It's not about music. It's about rhythmic entrainment. So all of these studies that are being done in, in dementia, we're finding that the rhythm is more powerful than the melody or the harmony and because that's when they can really get grab onto it and they they, they go into a, an ecstatic or which is a quiet state or they go into a trance state which is uh, which is auditory driving which is louder and so it, it's invaluable now so the science that we're trying to produce will feed those music therapists who are like foot soldiers out there there's an army of them they don't exactly know how to do it again but they know it works And so the idea is to repeat, and that's the thing about science. Once you know the code, the breaking of the code is the whole thing. Once we have the rhythmic genome, all of these things will become apparent. We'll be able to use this. Uh, doctors in 21 states, can uh, HM, they pay HMOs and so forth. Uh, music therapy is a legitimate practice. I hope that our research will really solidify that and make it, when a doctor could write a prescription, a musical, a sonic, a sonic prescription, whether it be rhythmic or whatever. So um, we're right on the cusp of it now. This is it. This is the most exciting time to live in music. It's really, really, really exciting. Yeah, I'd second that. Anybody else? Somebody over here. I, I agree with that. I think the word, uh, you, you know, people say that, you know, digital, digital music has destroyed, has destroyed music. It's not. It's just changed it. It's no longer a record company thing. It's in, in it's significant. I agree. I think it's the most exciting time that we've had so far. So I'm just curious, and maybe you know, maybe this is one of the research topics you're mentioning, Adam. But uh, Mickey, you were talking about how how you know throughout history, music has been specifically been used in in healing ceremonies. Have, have you done any looking into the specific rhythms of those specific ceremonies and tried to you know reproduce whatever results were claimed to have, have been uh, achieved by, through that? Well, you know, I'm kind of a seat of the pants shaman, you know, kind of, I mean, I'm not a scientist, and I do my, own, my work, and you know my work, and so that's the way I do it. I've participated in many other healing ceremonies, and they're very specific to what they were, whether they be Native American or shamanic from the Siberian shaman tradition. I've been to a lot of them, Santeria, all of the religions that practice this as well, so... You know, it, it, again, it, it, there's a big, big gray area, you know, on the specific. There are a lot of ways of getting there, seemingly, but we have to be able to codify these ways. It's like a, which we're building, uh, we're drawing a roadmap now of the mind to be able to repeat, to be able to do it again and again and again and to codify it and quantify it. That's really what this thing is all about. My answer to that question is actually to do with intention. Because if you, as a musician, if I play some music and I'm just not really connected and I'm, I'm, I'm not playing it with intention, it doesn't have the same power as if I play the same thing with my heart open, mindfully, with intention. So I suspect the answer to the question is that there's something we can't yet measure in science, which is the mindfulness intention of the message behind the music. So if you were to just you know, sort of physically analyze the notes that we're playing and then recreate that later, that's missing the essence of why that happened. Well, I, I know that I've seen hundreds of thousands of people go into, you know, ecstatic trance in front of me and go to places, you know, that were, were out there, let us say. And 
It all started with my grandmother who had advanced Parkinson's back in the 70s, I believe, in the early 80s. She hadn't spoken for about a year. I was her caregiver. I played the drum for her and isolated her. Actually, we were in a car and I pulled a little drum out and we were sitting there, you know, and I, and I, I talked to her to tell her stories and then I just drummed for her for about 10 minutes and she spoke my name. And I, that was it. I said, whoa. I said, something is happening here that I have no idea what's going on. I mean, here was a personal, a personal experience with my grandmother who I knew didn't speak. And she kept saying my name, my name, my name. And then she wouldn't, then, then when the music stopped, just like it is in the, at, at Beth Abraham in New York, after I finished with all of the chairs, they go back. And the music wears off, and they start looking at the fish bowls, and they start looking outside the windows and stuff, and they drift back into the darkness. But while that stimuli is happening, they are connected. So when I saw this happen to my grandmother, right. and this wasn't loud music, it was a tiny, it was a small little single membrane. Then the, the light bulb went off. I said, wow, vibratory stimuli allowed her to come out of the darkness and regained for a moment at least her power right. of speech. So, I mean, there's so many. Th- we just made a. Oliver Sacks did this. Has anybody seen the movie called uh, The Music Never Stops? Okay. Well, that was a perfect example of Oliver Sacks bringing someone who to Madison Square Garden. I asked Oliver to come. He brought his patient who hadn't spoken in many years. And they made a movie out of it. Uh, and when he saw the band, this is interesting. He saw the Grateful Dead at Madison Square Garden, and he spoke for the first time in 10, 15 years. And he said, where's Pigpen? Pigpen used to be our, Pigpen used to be our lead singer. He was a harmonica player, and he sang the blues. But Pigpen had died years before from liver failure. So he remembered the band back in 1969 when he stopped talking. And... And then, so, you know, I mean, it, it just jarred his whole world. And, um, and then I went back to Beth Abraham to work with him. He never spoke again. Mickey, we've got one minute left. And do we have a burning question that someone really has sure. to answer? Sure. Wave your hand furiously if you do. This gentleman well, there. While we right. do that, I can give a 20-second example of uh, music, technology, and health. This is a, you guys might have seen it. It's a boom bot. It's a portable speaker. It's connected by Bluetooth to my iPhone. My iPhone has an app on it called BioBeats. It's an experiment. What you see there is colors or different music genres. I'm going to pick house. When I pick house, it shines the camera on the back. It's an optical sensor. Put my finger on it. You're going to hear. That's my heart in real time. I don't know if any of you heard your bass kick of your heart. It's going to normalize it. We might need a medic. Stopped. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a BPM. Oh, we got a doctor here. It's fine. What it's doing is taking the rhythm of my heart, my heart rate variability, and based on that rhythm, it's accessing a database of stems, and those stems are allowing me to create music that reflects my mood or my emotion. I'm pitching a little bit, so it's getting excited. <laughs> question. Last question, please. This is not really a question, but you mentioned the whole thing about Pythagoras, and Walt Disney was hip to his whole thing. Uh, there's a movie called Donald in Mathmagic Land. I don't know if you've seen this. It's free on YouTube, but it's, it, in my opinion, it's Walt Disney's masterpiece. It's called Donald in Mathmagic Land, where Donald goes to Pythagoras' mystery school, and he teaches him all the secrets of the universe and the golden ratio, and it's free on YouTube until it gets taken down again, and then they put it up again. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming, everybody.